What, which, this, that, or the other? From Bonnaroo to Coachella, traversing the music festival landscape can be tricky. That's where we come in with high fives for everyone. The What Podcast with Brad, Barry, Lord Taco, dedicated to exploring the entire festival scene. Brad has worked in the radio industry for more than 20 years and currently lives in Brooklyn, where he is program director for three stations, including one in New York, one in Detroit, and one in Miami. Barry's been a reporter for the Chattanooga Times Free Press, covering all aspects of the entertainment industry since 1987. That's before you were born. Lord Taco, the smart guy who makes these podcasts on our website at thewhatpodcast.com work. Also really good at identifying babies, loves blue-haired moms, PBR, and his beautiful Volkswagen bus. We all fell in love with the Bonnaroo Festival years ago, not only because of the amazing bands that play there every year, but also because of the incredible community spirit that has developed around it. Radiate positivity. And we really like talking about the inside baseball stuff when it comes to putting on a huge music festival. So join us. You can hear the What Podcast on the Consequence Podcast Network or anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to Going There, the crossroads where music and mental health meet. Presented by the Consequence Podcast Network and Sound Mind Live, this series is made possible by the fine folks at Janssen Pharmaceutical Companies of Johnson & Johnson. Today we are talking with Brad Corrigan and Chad Ermston of the band Dispatch. Dispatch's music has been described as sunny, groovy, hopeful, and catchy as hell. So catchy, in fact, that in 2007, when Dispatch played a benefit concert at Madison Square Garden called Dispatch Zimbabwe, it was the first time an independent band had ever sold out Madison Square Garden. In fact, they sold out two shows and then had to put on a third just because the demand was so great. And this concert, which was to raise money for the people of Zimbabwe to address issues such as hunger and HIV prevention and treatment, is just another example of Dispatch's long-standing history of doing advocacy work. And they came on to the Going There podcast to continue with their mental health advocacy work by talking about a very tough issue, the effect of mental illness on the people in our lives. Brad and Chad are talking about this issue from two perspectives. They are sharing how their struggles with mental health affected the people around them. And on the flip side, they talk about how they coped with and supported bandmate Pete Heimbold as he struggled with depression. This is such an important issue because, unfortunately, research shows that mental illness can cause severe stress to one's support system. And this is a perfect topic for the Going There podcast, where our goal is to provide a safe place where artists can talk about difficult issues regarding their mental health. By having these in-depth and tough conversations, we can learn from each other, challenge the stigma of mental illness, come out of the darkness, and get the care we need. So let's go there and listen to what Brad and Chad have to say. Here we are with Chad and Brad of Dispatch. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Let's get right down to it. We're here talking about mental health issues. Why don't we just start off, you know, we talked a little bit beforehand about, you know, things that you guys might have struggled with personally over the years to give some context about where you're coming from in this whole discussion. 
I'll start because I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Brad, but what Brad went through, his most crucial moments, I guess, have come rec more recent than mine. So if we're going a little bit more chron chronologically, I'll start. And then after Brad and I talk a little bit about that, we can go talk about Pete, which is which is probably the biggest, um, probably the hardest thing we've gone through as a band, you know, and it deals with mental health. For me, and, and Brad and I were talking about this recently, I know I had... I was sick a lot in those, in the kind of waning years. We, we kind of had that first bunch of years when you're in a band and just the, you're just riding into the, you know, who knows what's going to happen around the next corner. And it's just, you're just filled with energy and excitement. And we were just riding this wave and, and looking back, we had no idea that how unique it was, the kind of traject independent trajectory we were on. But that said, we were also dealing with personal issues with each other and with ourselves and kind of growing up with two other guys attached at the hip from the age of nine, 18, 19 into your mid twenties. So it was hard, I think, in that way for all of us trying to figure out who we were in and out of the band. I mean, there, in those days, there really was no out of the band. We were just in, but I was with it. You know, I kind of took those, I had this kind of like physiological happenstance where I was sick and also kind of depressed and sick. And they were both kind of feeding each other. And I can even see it in the old videos when I, when I, see myself talk or walk up see even if we're walking by the camera or something I could tell you know and Brad knew that I wasn't totally there and I was a little bit like I guess just depressed just know it and and that and that that classic feeling that that is that's really familiar to me is what this is what I the last thing I should be is depressed this is look at this I'm I'm we finally are making our dream come true. Look at this, we're on a tour bus, you know, and like that depression also combated with the, you know, massive disappointment in my own constitution, I guess. And it's so interesting that you say that because, you know, one of the things you never hear anyone say is like, oh, things are going so well. Why do you have diabetes? You know, oh, things are going so well. Why do you have heart disease? You know, things are going so well. Why do you have asthma? And yet at the same time, people will say those things often as though mental health issues are always related to your outlook on your life. When in a lot of situations, your mental health is, is affected by the same things that affect quote unquote physical health, which is, are you sleeping? Are you highly stressed? Do you have any downtime? Um, and even if things are going well as, as they were, all those things can lead to a stress response that can affect your your mood and your mental health. Yeah, I I, I know for me in in my family, we, whereas my wife's family are all predisposed to being really anxious. For me, it's more that, of that depression, and I, and I see it. You know, I, I see it in my siblings and see it in obviously in my own nature. But it is interesting to think of of that. What are we all born with, and what's going to be the catalyst for? for those dark moments. Yeah. And I think, you know, what, what, one of the things that is so difficult for people at times is to know what do you do when you have a sense of a family history? You know, so let's say you have a sense that there's depression in your family. How do you necessarily organize your life in a way that is both sensitive to it, but not necessarily beholden to it? You know, because obviously you want to you know, minimize the chance that you get depressed, but you don't want to live your life in fear of getting depressed. Let me ask you this. Depression manifests differently for different people. How does that manifest for you? 
when you feel like, hey, I can feel depression coming on? It's almost a little bit of a panic. And it's, it's almost like there's a huge hole in front of me and I could either kind of run around it or, or I could lose my balance and, and fall in. And, and, and it's easy to lose my balance and fall in. It's easy to kind of go down that uh, kind of spiral. So I try to just kind of stay on top of it. And, and I guess try to just like, like you said, recognize it. And I've talked to Pete or, you know, our other original band member too about this and the thoughts that he would have. And, and we can get into him more later, but it's some kind of combination of acceptance and like letting them roll through in a way that, you know, obviously takes some, some learning and some, some practice. Now, when you're talking about letting them roll through, you know, sometimes people will talk about that in terms of the feelings. Sometimes it's the thoughts. When you start feeling depressed, do you have a sense of, of whether, okay, this is an emotional situation that's coming on. My thoughts are starting to change, a combination of them. Yeah, it it feels just like a almost like a fork in the road, and and it's hard to it's hard to have the ability just to choose and do it. It almost chooses it for you. For me, I don't know if it would be in between the two aspects that we're talking about, but it it forms itself in in regret, I guess, and that's a tricky one. I think Brad saw that in me in some of uh, in the end of our early years too, where I just wasn't fully present, and. Um, and thinking this is all fine. And I kind of did this in my relationships too. Like this is all fine, but it's not really me kind of thing. And, and this isn't almost like this isn't real. And my real life is going to start at some point, but this isn't it. So it's kind of this ugly, you know, non-committal, but also and a little bit denial of, and, and so it's really helpful for me, I guess, to, to have these moments of, of being grateful. I've been so lucky in my life. And so it's, uh, I think in the morning times that can be kind of the, the worst for me um, when, when I'm alone, but I'm, I'm, you know, with wife and kids these days, it's mornings are like, uh, are really happening. You, you know, someone said to me, obligation is everything. And I'm not sure I agree with him, but mornings are like, are like go time. And, and so I don't have this, you know, the thing that I had in the 20 somethings where I'm just kind of lying in my bed thinking about things I would do differently or, you know, it's like, so that it has kind of changed in that way. And that's, that's a good thing. But I think you're yeah, just kind of staying, staying ahead of it, being, and trying to hear that wisdom that so many wise people have, right. About, about, some kind of daily ritual where you just center yourself and thank and be grateful for what we do have because um, that kind of centering keeps me from kind of spinning spinning off. Brad, if I can jump in with you here, you just had a kid, and you know Chad's talking right now about the effects that having a kid can have on you know the idea of scheduling and purpose and gratitude. You know how for you have you seen your mental health issues either you know improve or you know if it was like me kind of maybe take a hit <laughs> we had young kids <laughs> gosh we're seven weeks in our little boy you know the magic of seeing him arrive my wife and i got married last year so we're a little bit later in the story as far as like even having a child we were so stoked that we were able to and you know so i'm 46 and a new dad and i think all of the so much is about expectation. Everything that's kind of built up around a moment, all of a sudden you're in the moment. And to Chad's point of like gratefulness and being present to something as opposed to having these like 
nagging thoughts where should I be feeling more about this? All the questioning thoughts and all the things that can knock your feet out from underneath you. And then shame and regret start to kind of like come in. Oh, I might've missed something. It's an amazing conversation about what we um, give attention to. I feel like, you know, there's always the better angels and the darker thoughts that are coming at the same time. And you can train yourself to let things move past you the way Chad was describing. Like I have a therapist that was really um, descriptive and like imagining that you're sitting at the end of a dock and all of your thought life is this river in front of you. Don't be ashamed or afraid of any thought that comes in your direction, no matter how wacky, uncomfortable, perverse, violent, sad, happy, like whatever it is, like acknowledge them as they go by and know that you're not your thoughts and then start training yourself toward the thoughts that you want to incorporate into your, into your life more. So I know I'm not really answering the question that you offered up very directly, but there's been something just in the last seven weeks in me where I'm Chad and I are working on finishing a record right when this new chapter of my life is coming and Chad and I have like a 25 year history, 20 years of it with Pete, you know, like creating albums that really, like you put your heart and soul into this little being, this collection of songs. And then it's incredible how much you can put into birthing, for lack of a better metaphor, birthing a record or birthing a big piece of art or a, a moment in your, uh, in your shared existence being in a band. So I'm looking at all these things that normally I get so immersed in detail-wise and Chad and I going back and forth and trying to get everything done to, to release this record. And then I'm also like, oh my gosh, man, I don't feel like I'm completely present to the fact that like I am a new dad. I have a seven-week-old, you know, a one-week-old, a three-week-old, and now a seven-week-old. So I think in terms of my mental health or spiritual health, I'm trying to figure out how to allow a natural prioritization to happen. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because, you know, we're talking about the kids and Chad was talking before about that place in your careers where things were going so well. And it's amazing to me that it doesn't filter down that these things that, that everyone else celebrates are really hard. You know, like I, I'm, I am shocked that anybody still thinks that having kids is going to be this exclusively glorious time where, you know, the, the seas part and the, the clouds part and everything's shining. And I think, Brad, it's exactly like you're saying. It's like, you need to experience all the different thoughts and feelings that you're having because it's, it's so difficult. And if you don't accept the fact that you're not always going to be feeling great because you haven't been sleeping and you know, in some cases, you know, your spouse just had like a body trauma and is still recovering from that. You know, oh, man. I, I mean, I, I remember there was this in our town, there was this, uh, there was this band and it was like, there was like, we had these like uh, house concerts back before COVID and it was a hardcore band and they were screaming the song and it was the, the, the chorus was two kids under two. And like, you know, and everybody in the audience was like, that was the most hardcore line I've heard in years. I was screaming that. <laughs> Because like two, having two kids under two, I'm like, oh my God, that's like the scariest thing that anyone's ever said to me. I had like, that. Yeah, it's, yeah. And it's horrible. But why doesn't anyone know that? Like, why aren't we talking to each other about how difficult that is? Because then everyone has to go through the, sh the same 
like you guys are describing the shame and the regret as though you shouldn't be feeling all these mixed feelings. I think vulnerability just as like a touchstone for living would change so many things. I mean, my wife has so many incredible friends, including Chad and his wife, Sybil, Lisa and I have had a couple of, uh, you know, phone calls where it has been like the nittiest of the grittiest detail in what to expect with labor and, and postpartum and kids, all of it. And that has been so incredibly helpful. But for one Chad and Sybil, we have 20 more couples that we're really close with where we're like, why aren't we getting the real story here? This was insane. I would even say, I mean, this is a little bit of a dark, uh, a dark picture, but I think it's pretty hilarious. I have a friend that said, you know, marriage could easily be a funeral and a funeral could easily be a marriage. Like you go into marriage and everyone's like, ah, this is so fantastic. And really it's the hardest, most incredible work of your life where there's this dying to the old way and trying to create life with a new way. And we go into funerals and everyone's so sad when oftentimes a lot of people are released from so much earthly pain that it would be like, well, let's celebrate that they were, that they've found uh, a place where they're lifted. So I think just in life, a lot of us, and I don't think that it's connected to gender either. I think honesty and vulnerability is scary because you don't know if you're going to be met there. As soon as you're opening yourself up, you're not sure if you're going to be met with the same thing or if you're going to be judged. Right. I'm just going to say this. If there's not a song on Dispatch's next album that says specifically marriage is a funeral and a funeral is marriage or marriage could be a funeral and a funeral could be marriage. I'm going to be more disappointed than I was seeing Chad's beautiful head of hair and comparing it to my own baldness. Okay, that's well, the level of, of disappointment. If it's, not on, if it's not on the dispatch record, it'll be on my solo project, Two Kids Under Two. <laughs> I don't know. That might be trademarked, but that's a great I, band name. <laughs> I, I, I love I love that analogy. And yeah, and I think that what I what I particularly I don't know if it's a metaphor actually. What what I what I love about it is it talks about this a lot of how we evaluate things is I wouldn't go so far as say it's random or arbitrary, but it's definitely pointed. Like, why do we celebrate a marriage in a particular way when there's going to be so much work ahead and it's going to be so difficult? Why do we mourn a funeral? Obviously, we mourn a funeral for a loss, but sometimes, but we might think to ourselves, like, let's celebrate this person. And it gets back to some of the stuff that Chad was saying about how do we feel about things where we're not sure how we're supposed to feel. You know, you were talking about, I'm in the middle of this wonderful thing. I'm feeling we're doing well as a band and I'm feeling depressed. And those expectations and the, without anyone talking to us about it can really set us down a very, very dark path. I think it's been pretty interesting too, to bring Pete, our founding bandmate, brother and partner into this. Like each of us absorb energy in a totally different way. Someone that we talk to, a therapist or a counselor, gave us kind of the picture of like, each of us has an internal antenna. And in, you know, a dinner setting, each of us kind of registers differently in a big room differently. And then if we're on stage in, you know, a performance, how do you interpret and bring in all of this energy into you? And then when the show's over, how do you kind of move from the stage where you're in front of such a huge power source and then get on the tour bus, go to sleep, go to the next place or come off of tour even not being in a band, it's similar. It's like, how do you process all the different things that you're going through? 
if every single person has a story, every person you see on the street, every random, every person that you know, if we're all processing so much and going through so much, the idea of vulnerability, the practice of vulnerability, the practice of gratefulness, what Chad was saying, the, the practice of being present, it's just huge. And Pete is an incredible artist, incredible songwriter, one of the funniest guys you've ever been around, just an incredible spirit. And I think we watched as brothers, you know, kind of like bookending Pete, that there were certain scenarios where his antenna was so overwhelmed with the energy that was coming toward him that it, it, that it was scary and that it didn't seem like it was a place where he was safe or we were safe. And, you know, when, when you're in your twenties, it's, it's funny. And I think it comes out in different ways and there's a little bit more of a party scene. There's a little more of us trying to figure out who we are in the midst of it, but to spend 10, 15, 20, 25 years together and to watch all of us kind of formationally and physiologically dealing with what is it like to receive all this energy and, and then to leave from it. You know, there's certainly mood, but there's also clinical chemical stuff. So there's mood depression, there's the pattern of the way that you think, there's if you're not sleeping well or if you're not eating well or you're not getting exercise, but then there's also kind of like, there is this clinical chemical side of mental health and mental illness that I don't know very much about, uh, but I feel like in Pete and maybe one or two other friends can certainly say how real it is um, and how important it is to acknowledge it and to kind of link arms with them. You're bringing that up. And I, I, I do want to transition to talking about the experience that you guys had with Pete. You know, Chad, one thing that I'm wondering, you know, you were talking before about, you know, how it felt as these things were happening and, and your mood was a certain way. That experience of being on stage is, is very tricky because we know from research that empathy actually hurts. Like it physically is painful to be aware of, connected to, and, you know, some ways affected by other people's emotions. And you guys as artists, to a degree, I mean, empathy is, is everything that you do. I mean, that's your, I mean, that's your career to a certain extent is to be able to experience and translate the emotion, your own emotions and the emotions of others. And so I'm kind of curious for you, when you were, would go on stage and feel the energy of the crowd, when you were feeling depressed, was that better because it felt like, oh, this is great. Or was it like, oh man, this is, this is adding. Cause this is, this is just a lot. It's a weight. I think, I think it's done both when I've been in, I think it, I think in 2002 or so when the, when dispatch when we were really 2001 2002 we were we we're just reaching that stride you were talking about with the crowd you I mean we could like cross the country we could go Boston to LA and then hit all the same places going back to Boston and the, the sizes there'd be like double the you know the venues so it was like this mad period but we weren't getting along and and so in that way I felt like we were kind of a lie. Like what I was doing on there was not truthful. I couldn't play those songs or I love being in a band and, and I see, but I felt like I'd seen so many bands over the years that never even looked at each other. And that was the worst for me. And I felt like we were becoming that band. And so in that way, that was, it's, that was depressing in and of itself. I will say when the band is healthy, 
there's an amazing cathartic feeling. And I was thinking that this morning, how lucky I am. And of course we missed this, this part during COVID, but how lucky I am that part of my job is being able to extricate those demons. You know, I, I really, I, I do, I do kind of pour that in, especially the heavier songs when you just like, kind of like lo- you can lose your mind a little bit, which is great in, a, in the, in the best way you, you relief from my own brain is great. And I think that's what, that's why I love live. I like the heavier songs where we are just, where it's like no more mind, but more heart. In some ways it's been, I've been able to push off depression and, or I'm just calling it depression. I'm not sure that's, that's the perfect label or discontent and push it down and kick it down the road in a bad way. But in other ways, I'm in a place where I can um, kick out the jams every night and have that um, catharsis. What you're talking about is, is that flow you know, that, that flow state, that immersion where you're just, you're completely in the moment and time kind of fades away and you're just so connected in and, and on an artistic level, that's such a wonderful place to be. But, you know, one of the things that I think that's hard for people who are fans, is just, but like, okay, like then what, like, how do you, how do you come out of that? You know, what if the flow that you're in is something that's not particularly healthy for you at the moment because it's bringing up issues that that once were particularly stressful and, and relevant, but now you haven't been thinking about, and that might start putting a weight on you that you don't necessarily want. And how do you even connect with people afterwards? You know, like, how do you come down from a flow? You know, it's like when those in those scenes in those in shows or movies where they just cut. Like I always think about at the end of Breaking Bad where like, yeah. you know, the tread lightly. I was always being like, so like, they're just staring at each other. That's such a powerful moment. But like, did they just walk away? Did they go have something to eat? And you yeah. guys are asked to do that every night, which is a very stressful thing, I think, to be able to do. It's not necessarily ideal for mental health. No. I mean, I think about that too in movies <laughs> too, that how <laughs> the benefit of the cut <laughs> yeah, like Brad was saying, you know, we would also be at different places in our lives. Brad, Pete and I, we would process that high differently, whether that would be turning to substances, turning towards friends, turning towards be- wanting to be alone or, or turn to each other or turn against each other. So and three is that that tricky number, you know, where it's it's good and bad, but very dynamic. We, we can't argue that it's not dynamic. Um, so I think a lot of that was just like going through it in our own way. And sometimes those ways really didn't mesh with each other. And, and sometimes they'd get to a point where it was clearly unhealthy. It was getting to a point where, where Pete was just sleeping so long in the bus, you know, and like, it was just like clearly, and I know, I knew that feeling. I had an inkling of that feeling because I, I, I could do the same, just like stay in my bunk almost all day, like right until sound check, you know, and, and there's some health to that because you're kind of cocooning before you, you know, you're kind of doing this uh, before you do that, I guess, um, which, which can be helpful to try to balance it. But um, I think that high to low started really kicking into Pete's own brain wiring. And it, it got to a point, I think, as we continued and we got into our thirties maybe, and it was like, Oh, okay. Like this, we, we cannot deny this anymore. This is clearly unhealthy either for Pete or for all of us. And Brad, getting back to the thing that you were saying about the chemistry, because you know what, what Chad's talking about, there's the, this thing that kicks in. I think one of the things that's very difficult, even getting back to this concept of like, oh, your, your life is good. How come you're depressed? Is that once 
once that chemistry starts to kick in, it's now got a life of its own. And that's what, when I think to a certain extent, when a, when a mental health issue becomes quote unquote clinical is when it's no longer responding. Brad, you were saying it's no longer a mood, you know, like it's, it's normative and actually healthy to be sad at a funeral. It is normal and, and healthy to be anxious about getting married. It's when your mood is no longer responding to external things. It's more responding mm -hmm. to internal things. And I'm kind of curious because whether it's with you guys yourself or what you were seeing in Pete, do you notice that shift? I feel like you can kind of tell. And I know when I work with patients, like I can kind of tell when there's a switch that's been thrown and we're not having the same conversation anymore. Chad and I are, are and Pete, the three of us came from, from being athletes. So I think it's such an interesting thing, the phrase like, oh, I was playing out of my mind. You know, like when you're in that flow, whether it's, you know, athletic or on stage, there is something so incredibly healthy, exciting, where you're aligned with yourself and, you know, the, the people who you're with. And it's healthy until I think something with that antenna that's taking lots and lots of energy. And like when you start kind of like popping fuses, if you're comfortable playing hoops with 15 people watching, but you get in front of 1500 people and you're like, I don't know what just happened to me. And then if you get into a stadium, I mean, it's just, there's so much outside energy and stimuli coming towards you that if you're managing the flow in a healthy way, but you're getting addicted to it somehow, or maybe something's popping in your system as you're getting all these other people's energy or, or however you would describe it, like your brain starts to change. Like, I think maybe your spirit changes, maybe how you get when you're drained, where you go to get that energy back when you're between shows or when you come off the tour. That's why so many of us, I think, have leaned into drugs and alcohol and sex and whatever it, any whatever you think it is that's going to fill you back up because you've emptied yourself so much. I had a really interesting experience uh, in the beginning, uh, beginning of 2018. We finished our winter tour in 2017 and my left ear was ringing for more than a couple days. Then it was a couple weeks. And I was like, man, I've never had tinnitus before. And I went in and had an MRI and I came out and nothing really clear. And then I, of course, the way I dealt with me being exhausted and a little bit rootless, like I got on a flight and flew to Iceland. I wanted to go and spend time with friends over there. And I got on the flight and the wall started caving in on me. Like it just out of no, I've never been claustrophobic before ever. And I am on my way to, you know, like I'm on an international flight and I can barely breathe. And I land there and think, okay, I just need to go the six hour drive to get to uh, my cabin and I'll be with my friends and I'll be fine. And I got there and uh, we went through several tunnels and my heart started racing. And again, I thought the world was kind of caving in on me. Short story, I flew back and started going to meet with doctors and a therapist. And then I started feeling anxious and had insomnia over about six months. And then finally figured out that I was in adrenal failure. I had no clue. I'd never heard of it. Didn't know what it was. Thought I was kind of bulletproof and um, started meeting with a handful of amazing caregivers that were like you describing your last 15 years, your body shut down. Physiologically, you've pushed it as far as you can. Sounds like you're not that healthy emotionally in the way that you deal with grief. You lost your grandmother. You were super close with her. How did you deal with that? Like, I just learned so much about the physical and how much I thought I could just escape stuff and just keep flying places and keep experiencing things and keep playing shows. And then for a year 
for about 15 months, I was on steroids and I realized I, I could be in front of an amazing crowd and everyone's singing a song and it's this elated thing, but my body chemistry wouldn't receive it. And I was bummed, lost, confused, claustrophobic. It was the first time in my life where I felt like my body chemistry was out of whack and I couldn't choose to override it. And that gave me such a different appreciation and empathy for Pete thinking, my gosh, obviously there's mood and physical choices and patterns and all that stuff, which is a form of depression. But what about when your brain is changing and when your body chemistry is changing and you can't choose to override it? It was, oh man, gratefully I'm on the other side of it, but I have to make different choices for the rest of my life. So I don't end up there again, because that's how I would tend. What I hear you're talking about is that you're being forced into a fight or flight situation on a nightly basis. I mean, we're not, you know, from an evolutionary perspective, designed to be standing in front of thousands of people with music blaring, having to perform for hours on end. You know, it's, it's very different, you know, for all the healthiness that exercise has, playing competitive sports is not necessarily healthy in that way you know, depending on how you approach it, for how much as music is great and creativity is healthy, putting a situation where you have to perform like that is something that your brain is perpetually being told fight or flight, fight or flight. And at some point, I feel like the choice has become, well, fight, flight, or just shut down, you know, because we're not designed to do that on such a regular basis. We're designed to do that for a little bit. And then we have some time to rest. And you guys don't ever have any time to rest. I mean, I'm, I'm not surprised that, actually, I sh- what I should say is I'm surprised that more musicians don't have something like adrenal failure, you know, because if you think of the fight or flight, my assumption is, I don't know the biology of it, is that, you know, you're just so keyed up that at some point your body is just like, I, I can't do this anymore. I think you get addicted to the adrenaline too. What could start as that fight or flight early in your like in your late teens or in college with sports that's so exhilarating and then on the stage or, or, or just in life, if you're a risk taker, you need to feel things to spike that adrenaline. I thought it was a unique perspective that my therapist was like, you are likely addicted to adrenaline. Your nonprofit life is working with kids in places where there's a lot of adrenaline. Your international traveling is always going and trying to experience something new or you're on stage on tour. And I, again, I would say emotionally and in terms of maturity and dealing with grief, dealing with conflict with Chad or Pete, I was not good at it. I'm more aware of that. Chad and I are trying to kind of grow and challenge each other that like honesty and vulnerability is really hard because you kind of have to sit in it and it's much easier to just race Again, fight or flight. It's great to, you could touch on something and then just fly off to the next adventure to kind of dull the tension of owning your shit, so to speak. So I think there's a ton of maturity uh, needed in us as we grow to figure out, all right, why am I addicted to adrenaline? Is that any different than friends of ours uh, who struggle with being addicted to alcohol? Is it any different than any other form of addiction? Is it just kind of a coping mechanism? There was those kind of these sad moments after when Brad was, when Brad was really feeling that um, adrenaline flatline. And I think, and he also had the kidney stones, I think part of it, but Brad, <laughs> hell of a combo. Uh, that's, that's, that is, I will tell you, 
that was probably the worst thing that that I, I think I have ever felt. I, I could not believe I heard the rumors of, of kidney stones. And that was actually that was the first time and that was not the first time. But that was when I, I felt like because I had my teeth pulled a while back. And I remember having taken Vicodin for the first time and being like, oh, this is what people are talking about. And when I had kidney stones, I had to be super careful about that because I was like, I'm in such a, such pain, but this stuff is, is, is blissful. Mm. Um, and so I'm, I'm surprised that kidney stones aren't the number one thing that we're talking about right now. Cause that, that was <laughs> horrific. I don't know how you did anything with that. He played a show. Um, well, uh, it's two things. First, the first thing I was touching on is just that Brad, you know, we'd be practicing for the festival that night or the next day. And we'd finish a song or a practice and Brad would just kind of sh- like with his drumstick and his, and his drumsticks in his hand, just shrug kind of. And he's just like, he just didn't feel anything like Brad was numb. And, and maybe that's similar to what he saw in me, you know, not just seeing the light go uh, out behind my eyes in the last couple of years of touring in the early days. But they were different, you know, but it was interesting to see that and sad for me, you know, just to see him like he just didn't feel anything. Uh, it wasn't good or bad. It was, he was just kind of like, I'm, you know, like I kind of know how to do this because my muscles remember, but like there was no, he just wasn't there. And I think, uh, and that was the same festival where we didn't know mid set if Brad was going to have to, I mean, we went, Brad and I went to the emergency room at, at three in the morning, two in the morning, the night before the festival, um, just sitting there in uh, like the Phoenix uh, emergency room uh, so that they could check because you know as you, you guys know more about it than me but it, you never know when it's gonna happen and there's kind of these surprises you know and anyways that that was like a real kind of like a really intense time but that numbness is something I I, I think about a lot or that I it was such a cause of worry you know even beyond the kidney stones. Chad you know what I remember really specifically too that just might have been the scariest 24 hours that I can remember we were in Oakland before the the festival that we did up there. I can't remember what the name of it was, but we were in this hotel where I told, I called you and was like, dude, I don't know what's happening, but like every hour or so I am going into such a dark place and it is freaking me out. Will you please come over? And you came over and we went to the fitness room and just started kind of like working out to try to get blood flowing and just kind of like work through it. And Mike, what I figured out I had been just given a prescription for like Prilosec, 24 hour Prilosec. And I was like, Chad, the only thing I can think of that's different is I'm on this 24 hour pill and I look it up and go into the side effects. And it says for some people, extreme cases of depression. And because I knew I was claustrophobic, I knew I wasn't feeling great, but there was this hourly thing happening again that I could not change. And that I was like, this is not me. And if Chad hadn't been there to kind of like hang out with me for that 24 hours and get me through all that shit. But then also if I hadn't been able to think maybe it's this pill I'm putting in my body. I'm so curious about how we manage mental health and how many things are intended to be helpful that without us even knowing might be triggering us into darker places. I only had 24 hours with it. What about people who don't know over the course of their lifetime, how much more medication they're mixing into their difficulty? I think that there is a general assumption and, and, and my field has definitely perpetuated this, the, the psychology field, that 
mental health issues happen as a result of things like negative self-talk, low self-esteem, poor self-concept, pessimism, all these kinds of things. And, and, and there is some truth to that. But so much what happens is that there's the feeling that we have in our body and we just don't know what to do with it. Like we can't, we can't move at all. And I remember the first time, you know, I came out of a lab in undergrad where it was a lot about cognitive theory and cognitive therapy. And I was working with someone on an inpatient unit. And I was so convinced that the only way that people got depressed was there was a stressor happened, they thought something, and then that got them depressed. And so I was like, you know, they were like, I'm depressed. And I was like, so, you know, what happened? They're like, I got up in the morning. And I was like, and, and what were you yeah. thinking? I was thinking that I got up in the morning. And it's like, no, 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 but, you, but, but something had to happen and you had to be thinking something. And they were just looking at me like, they're like, I, I, who, who on earth put this person in front of me to try to help me? And it was all based on that fundamental premise of my not really appreciating the fact of, of how much, like you're saying, these, the biology can just pop up and all of a sudden take over. And, and then the thoughts and the behaviors all of a sudden come from that. I think that's a great place to start with us in terms of like, not us, but like people understanding and learning how to cope with and manage mental health issues is that a lot of the times, whether it's because of a medication issue or just because of someone's biology, like you know, Chad was talking about family history, that there can be just a biological thing happening that if we don't appreciate that and, and are respectful of it, we could start accusing people of like, you're, you're pessimistic, you're this, you're that, you don't appreciate mm. your life, you're not grateful. And it's like, oh man, I just, I just want to get from the bed to the sink, man. Like, stop, you know, heaping more on this. You got to talk to Pete. Seeing him go through what he, correct me if I'm wrong, Brad, but the stuff that Brad and I have felt over the years, Pete got walloped with something a hundred times harder than that. And he... The shit he's gone through is insane. And for Brad and I, I'm not saying we've, we've handled it perfect. We've tried to be loving the whole time, try to do what's most healthy. But for us, separating the illness from the person we love, you know, that was a big one. Trying to, who are we talking to right now? Sometimes it was hard to tell. Brad, we said this a bunch, but it was almost like the illness was taking over more and more of Pete so that we were having a harder time seeing the kid we fell in love with, you know, 15, 20 years earlier, that dichotomy you're talking about with like that, not even to mention meds. I mean, that's a whole nother thing. And, and, and the things Pete has done to try to help his situation, but just that idea of the, the person, you know, and the illness and how it takes over. Yeah. And I, I think that one of the things that's so tough about it is as someone from the outside is witnessing this takeover, and, you know, you guys know from just experiencing yourself, it's like no one's more upset than me about my own body takeover. And yet, you know, it's like in some ways when we have mental health issues, not only do we have to contend with the fact that this is the worst thing that could possibly happen. You know, like you're saying with Pete, like I'm sleeping all day and, and missing this great stuff or like you know, Brad, what you're talking about, like my, you know, you're not sitting there saying my adrenal glands aren't working, but like whatever that get up and go is, is gone. And so it's already such a terrible thing. But then we also have to figure out, well, like, how am I going to explain this to anyone? Because you, because you don't know, it's like, are you, 
are you being lazy? As sometimes people say, are you just not into this anymore? And that just starts heaping on, you know, the, the pain gets heaped on with the stigma. And now you've got like a whole nother cycle going because now you got to like figure out how to manage people when you can't even manage yourself. And the culture that we live in too, I mean, our pace, you can't say how you're doing in, you know, two phrases. Hey, how you doing? Um, pretty good. Hey, how you doing? I'm not feeling great. Okay, sweet. Like we are, we're just constantly moving. And it's really hard, I think, to slow down enough to sit with a person enough to, you know, kind of honor them and get to a place where they'd share their story. And if all of us, even in our own families and our closest communities of friends, and then in the workplace, if there's just this constant going, if we're just moving so fast all the time, vulnerability and empathy takes time. You can't shortcut it. And I think one of the things that is really special about being in a creative environment with the same cast of characters over a long chunk of time is what you learn from each other, what you're learning from your bandmates is they're reflecting you back and what you're reflecting to them. And, you know, there's, there's mental health and physical health in how well we take care of our bodies and, and how much we're putting into ourselves, how much we're slowing down. And then there's kind of what Chad's saying across that line where it's not your choice. What Pete experiences in depression and everything that he's gone through in his mental health, I think we need almost separate language where what I've experienced is a swing up or a swing down, but it keeps coming back to a normal point, a relative normal point. And I think when you see a friend who crosses over that line and like Chad was saying, they're, they're slowly but surely taken over more and more by their illness and challenge. And then there's more medication that's brought into it. The returning to normal isn't there so much, which would tell me, you know, it's probably not more exercise and better food and all, you know, it, it, all those things collectively can slowly right the ship, so to speak. But man, that chemical stuff that you're talking about, Mike, you wake up in the morning and there's not something that there's not a shitty nightmare, you know, you just woke up. I think there is that there's a line there, certainly a line there between how well we take care of ourselves and how well we acknowledge that we are spirit, emotion, and thought just as much as we are, you know, physical body, there's a pretty big difference there. That's something that's so tough. This idea of how do we incorporate empathy and vulnerability on a cultural level, on a social level, on a personal level, because just looking at how we have society gained, I mean, everything is designed to see how much of yourself you can sacrifice for whatever cause, you know, how many hours can you work? You guys are coming from a sports. The difference between someone who's enjoying exercise and being an athlete, a lot of times comes down to how much of your body are you willing to sacrifice short-term and long-term for performance? I mean, that's, I mean, that's at the end of the day, a lot of circumstances. I mean, look, you guys, I'm sure, and I don't, I don't know the history, but I'm sure that part of the reason why you're where you are is because you outworked a bunch of people who weren't willing to put in that effort in addition to your own talents. And so the question becomes when we have a society that's, that is geared so much towards people pushing themselves. It's like you say, like, where do we find that empathy? Where do we find that vulnerability? Because everyone's afraid that if you show the, the least bit of that, that oh, you're out of the race, you know, no more for you. You know, you got a mental health problem, like, you know, you know, and that happens to a lot of people. The stigma of mental health is real. 
Yeah, I think there would have to be a really massive cultural shift for us to kind of corporately regain our mental, spiritual, emotional health. It's like one big endurance race. Who's going to go the furthest and get to the finish line when that means everyone else is going to have fallen off at some point? I mean, it's not a very healthy approach, I guess. Um, all of us have to own that, though. And we even have to look politically at who we're electing and look at what motivates us. And every time Trump has said economy, 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 I'm thinking, where is humanity, 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 humanity? I mean, if we're worshiping the dollar ahead of everything else out there, well, no wonder pharmaceutical companies are making billions and billions and billions of dollars giving us little pills that can allow us to not slow down or not make a change in the way that we're choosing to live our lives. Uh, it's a huge soapbox. I'll try not to get on it, but our culture demands that, that there's some like self-destruction in order for us to be successful. It's good therapy. <laughs> Thank you for it. Thanks for inviting us into this. Yeah, um, could we do it maybe once a month? <laughs> I love it. When we when we get off this, we're going to talk about whether or not we could we could just do that. I feel I feel like this was good for me, so I hope it was good for people listening. <laughs> but oh, you know, I honestly. It. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. This is tough stuff. And you guys step up in so many ways in your life with different causes and appreciate you stepping up for this. So it was great talking with you and hope, hope we get a chance to talk again. Thanks, Mike. Take care. Right. Thanks, Mike. Chad Ermson of Dispatch talking about how their own struggles with mental health affected their support network, as well as how they coped with and supported their bandmate Pete Heimbold as he struggled with depression. So much of our life is held together by our social relationships, such as family, friends, or professional connections like being in a band. And when things are going well, it's great. Not only do we have the energy, motivation, and concentration to nurture these relationships, but also we feel good about them as they grow and blossom. Unfortunately, when we are anxious or depressed, we can neither put that effort in nor experience the joy of our social network. And it can be so tough as we witness the lives that we built seemingly crumble before us as we struggle with mental illness. But I think Brad hit the nail on the head towards the end when he talked about the concept of humanity. Right now as a society, it seems like we celebrate those who thrive and denigrate those who struggle. We have to build a society where being compassionate and empathic towards those people who struggle is seen as part of thriving, as necessary for thriving. And I think the more people step up and share their story, the more we will realize that coping with mental illness has been a crucial part of so many people's path to success. And as we build our social networks through marriage, family, friendships, the workplace, and the media, we need to reduce the stigma of mental illness so we can give people the space to understand their mental health struggles and get the care they need. I want to thank the Consequence Podcast Network and Sound Mind Live for including me in this wonderful project, which is sponsored by Janssen Pharmaceutical Companies of Johnson & Johnson. And thanks to Pete Wilson and the Rooks for letting us use their song, I Know. If you are struggling with anxiety, depression, or addiction, and are looking for help, please call the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration National Helpline at 1-800-622-4357. And if you're thinking about harming yourself and want to seek help, please contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. You may also go to the Sound Mind Live and Consequence of Sound websites for more information. So be healthy, be safe, and be kind to yourself and others. See you next time at the Crossroads.
Consequence Podcast Network.